please do take a seat. Thank you, Bernd. Good morning. Let me extend my welcome uh, to, to you all. Um, this morning, we're going to uh, look at our passage, see what's going on, uh, what did it mean then, what does it mean for us now, and how do we respond? Um, before we get stuck in, let's pray. Father, may the words I speak be those you want spoken. May the words we hear be those you want heard. And may we live to your glory. Amen. Picture the scene. It's the middle of the night. Jesus has been arrested and taken away to appear before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. The majority of his disciples had run away. But Peter is there following um, behind the crowd that were taking Jesus away. Jesus was being led to his accusers um, who were waiting at Caiaphas' house. And Peter found himself cold and alone. Imagine it. Somewhere up there stands Jesus. In the midst of those who accuse him those who are bringing false testament against him, claiming that he has blasphemed in the worst possible way. And they are baying for his blood. And down here in the courtyard, (coughs) Peter finds himself alone. His world must have been falling apart. The man who he had followed everything to follow The man who, somebody who he had called a brother, had just betrayed, was facing an uncertain future. There's a fire going, uh, so Peter moves himself closer um, to keep warm. Um, And a servant girl walks by, notices Peter, looks closely, and says, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. And Peter replies, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And he moves away. Doesn't know or understand what she was talking about. Whether Peter was a follower of Jesus or not, there was only one reason why everybody was there in the middle of the night. That's because Jesus was arrested. There's no way anybody there could have known what, could not have known what was going on about. Uh, The servant girl wasn't buying it. She says again to those around, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denies it. I love at this moment how typically English the NIV translation is. This fellow. Um, It it just, just made me chuckle. Then a third accusation comes in. This time from those who were standing near Peter. Surely you are one of them. For you are Galilean. This time Peter replies strongly, forcefully. It's not a tame muttering. He calls curses down and swears at them. I don't know the man you are talking about. (laughs) Then the rooster crows twice. And like a punch to the stomach, the words of Jesus, which can be found in chapter 14, verse 30, come into Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. 
The way Mark tells these events is in a particular way, which I think is really relevant. Um, And we need to take into account what's happened just before um, our passage. The way Mark writes, and actually John does the same in in his account, um, is that he's flitting from one scene to another. We see uh, Jesus being uh, led before the Jewish leaders, and Peter's there. And then we see uh, Jesus um, being accused uh, by the leaders. He then flits to our passage where we see Peter down below, and then he flits back again um, to uh, Jesus. And it's purposeful. Um, It's not accidental. It's purposefully not chronological. The purpose was to use each scene to interpret the other. We have here two trials, essentially. The trial of Jesus and the trial of Peter's faith. Whilst Jesus is up there being mocked, false witness against him, being accused of the worst blasphemy by the highest authorities in Judaism, he stands firm in the face of it all. Yet Peter is down here in the courtyard below, being called out by a servant girl, and he can't bring himself to say Jesus' name. Peter, the rock a man for which God had great plans, has completely disowned Christ, denied that he even knew who he was. And why? Because he was scared. Scared of the ramifications such an association would bring on him. Peter was not a weak man um, who would usually hide away and lack courage, When he was um, at Gethsemane and Jesus was arrested, he drew a sword and cut off the ear of God. He didn't lack courage. But those who were accusing Peter were of no particular importance. Peter did not have a sword to his throat. Yet in that moment, Peter was so scared of what would happen if people knew of his relationship with Christ. John Calvin writes, Here we see that it does not take a heavy fight to break a man, nor many forces and devices. Whoever is not dependent on God's hand will soon fall at a breath of wind or the noise of a falling leaf. Peter certainly was no less brave than any of us and had already given no ordinary proof of his high courage though his boldness was excessive. Yet he does not wait to be brought to the tribunal of the pontiff or until the enemy threatens his violent death. But at the voice of a young woman, he is scared and straight out denies his master. Now, while I've been reading um, different commentaries uh, for this uh, sermon... um, I felt God directly talking to me, which is helpful if you're going to preach um, the words that you're preaching. Um, if they don't touch your heart, then there's something wrong with your heart. And if, the, if you think that they're not for you, then there's something wrong with, you, with your reasoning too. But I think God's speaking to, to many people here this morning. Um, 
But if I'm honest, what I felt God was saying, I didn't like very much. You look, you look at Peter, and you can fully understand why, in that moment, he said he didn't know Christ. He was fearful for his life. Can we blame him? Would we have done anything different? I suggest probably not, if we're truthful. But that doesn't excuse the fact that he did it. It was a sin. And could there be a sin much greater than denying Christ? Because in denying he knew who Christ, he was denying everything about Christ in him. He was denying Christ as Lord of his life. In that moment, he lacked so much faith. We can try to justify it with the circumstances that Peter was in, but it doesn't justify it, not one bit. And why did I find it so hard? So hard, I read loads of commentaries to try and find someone who said Peter's actions could be justified. Because in Peter is me. And Peter is us. You don't have to have your life threatened to be standing where Peter stood. While I was growing up, um, I lived in a village called Ormsby, which is uh, near Great Yarmouth. Um, I want to clarify, near, <laughs> not in. Um, and we, uh, we went to uh, a Baptist church there. Um, it's on the main kind of road through uh, the village. Um, it's a nice, uh, lovely little chapel. Um, right next to it is Ormsby Middle School. And I vividly remember walking up to church and checking. Checking around me, was there anybody who I knew as, uh, watching me as I went into church? But, but then, uh, I couldn't have been much, uh, much more than about 11. And I was embarrassed to be seen entering a house of God. Fast forward a few years, um, and I'm at Caster High School, which is still not in Yarmouth. <laughs> it's, it's a little closer, but it's not in Yarmouth. Um, uh, if you're offended by any comments about Yarmouth, come see me afterwards, and yeah, I'll tell you why they're true. Um, I, uh, I knew... Um, and got on really well with my RV teacher. Um, we all know Christian circles are really, really small. Um, so we moved into kind of similar Christian circles outside of school. Um, I knew her so well that when writing, I couldn't possibly remember her name. Um, but I didn't, didn't know her well. And she knew me well. Um, there was this one day when I noticed the pastor's car um, in the school car park, he would often come and do assemblies. Um, It happened to be a day I had an RE class, and I asked my teacher not to mention in class that I went to church. I was scared of what the others might say about me. But then I was only about 15, and teenagers can be cruel. Peter failed to have confidence in his Lord and placed himself and his safety above Christ. 
He did not put Christ first. And I failed to have confidence in Christ when I was at school, to save embarrassment and not, be, uh, and not receive the ridicule I presumed I'd get. I'd pretend that I didn't know Christ. And if we're honest, we probably all can think of situations where we've, each one of us have done something similar. But then we're human, and we do get things wrong. Just a few hours before Peter uh, disowned Christ, he was boasting of his loyalty. Uh, in Mark fourteen twenty nine, uh, Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Peter was very sure that he would never fail Jesus on a point of loyalty and courage. But Peter faltered just a few hours later. Three times he denies Jesus before a few nameless people of no particular significance. Peter failed. I want to just clarify, we don't have to outright say, I don't know Christ, or avoid situations where our faith is put on show to deny Christ. Every time we close a part of our lives, be it family, school, college, uni, or our finances, if we close a part of our life off to Christ, then we are denying him. We deny Christ. We say that Jesus isn't part of our lives um, and take control. We're effectively saying, I don't know you here in this part of my life. And you can't not know Jesus in one part of your life and, and, and not another. But in Peter's story, we learn something. Great men and women can fail. Peter was was seen as, as one, of the, one of the main disciples. Jesus had said, uh, we, we know that God had great plans for Peter, and he failed. Great people can fail. And we, but just because you fail does not make you a failure. We see throughout the Bible this happening. Noah was a drunk, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar, Gideon was afraid, Samson was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, David had an affair and was a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Jonah ran from God, Job went bankrupt, the disciples fell asleep while praying, the Samaritan woman was divorced more than once, Paul was too religious, Peter denied Christ. All deemed to be failures, but all used for a great purpose by God. The last six words of our passage. And he broke down and wept. He realised his mistake, Peter, and acknowledged it. Great men and women admit their mistakes and failures and repent. Failure is not fatal if we remember that God's love is not dependent on our success.
God's love is not dependent on our performance or our success. No matter how we have failed, no matter what sin we have allowed into our lives, the Saviour who died for us still loves us. The story of Christianity is a story of failed men and women who found new futures. When Peter broke down and wept, that was his turning point. You see, all the disciples failed. Peter failed. Judas failed. But what made Peter different from Judas was his awareness of the Lord's love for him. And therefore he wept in repentance. Both Peter and Judas were remorseful, but Peter repented and Judas killed himself. God's love, which is given so preciously and does not depend on us, is Christ. Whilst Peter fails in the courtyard, something brutal yet beautiful is happening less than a hundred yards away. Jesus is starting the journey to the cross for the very actions that are being played out in the courtyard below and in our lives today. This is the last we see of Peter in Mark. Um, He is referred to uh, in chapter 16, after Christ has risen from the tomb, he says to to the Marys, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, uh, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. But that's it. Um, So I'm going to cheat a little this morning um, and go outside our passage, because I think it is relevant. We see in John 21, after Jesus appears to the, the disciples following his resurrection. There is a repeat of the scene that, where Jesus first calls Peter. Um, Peter and the others are out fishing. Again, they're catching nothing. Uh, Jesus calls from the shoreline, throw your nets to the other side. Bam, nets are full. Um, and they all sit down and have a nice breakfast. Uh, John twenty-one fifteen. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But you are old, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus asked Peter three times. Um, We've seen that number before. 
he asks him three times, um, do you love me? The first two times uh, Jesus asks, uh, the translation of the word love he uses is agape, which is a sacrificial love. Jesus is asking Peter whether he loves him enough to give up his life for him. Something he failed to do back in Caiaphas' courtyard. And then the final time Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, he uses the translation of love, um, filio, which signifies affection, affinity, it's a brotherly love. Jesus then commissions Peter to spread the gospel. Jesus knows of Peter's repentance. He knows that Peter is sincere in his repentance, sincere in his devotion, and reinstates him. As we hear in verses 18-19, Jesus tells of Peter's death. Peter will go on to die for his faith. He will suffer for Christ and his gospel. Through Christ's actions on the cross, Peter was able to be reconciled with God. And through his repentance and affirming of Christ as Lord in every aspect of his life, God was able to use him to spread the gospel throughout the land. And so it is with us. Through Christ we are redeemed. Our sins are washed away and we are given a way back to God. We need to repent of our sins and our human failures and accept Christ as Lord and Saviour in every aspect of our lives. All that has gone before no longer matters. If we ever needed an example, that Holy Trinity, of someone who, uh, who loves God and speaks his name openly and freely, we only need to look at our dear friend, Joe Dade. Joe was a man who was a huge inspiration to me. He encouraged me greatly in my role as music associate, and he encouraged me with his words of the gospel. If you ever had a conversation with Joe, you will know to his own... Um, uh, his own admitting that in his younger days, Joe was a bit of a lad. Uh, but he came to, the Christ, to, he came to Christ, and we thank the Lord for that. From, from then, Joe knew the beauty that is the saving grace, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and importantly, wanted to share that. The gospel oozed from Joe. The gospel of our Lord tripped off his tongue. And he'll be sorely missed. But we can rejoice that he dwells with our Heavenly Father, to whom Jesus will acknowledge. Jesus himself tells us that, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Matthew 10, 32. I don't know about you, but I pray that one day Jesus will bring me to the Father 
and say, you know what, Father? This guy stood up for me even when it was tough. It cost him a lot for, for, for him to do it, but he didn't back down. And I'm proud to have him up here with us. It's something which I think he can say about Joe. We live in an age where it is popular to be spiritual. But it's not real popular to be a person who actually loves Jesus. Society is a bit hypocritical in that regard. But I encourage you that as we stand firm in Christ, he honours that. He helps us to be accurate reflections of him and his love for all who call call on him for forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven. And not only that, other people take notice of those who are honestly living for Christ and his agenda instead of living from themselves. It allows, Jesus, it allows them to see Jesus for who he really is because they see the truth of the scriptures played out in their lives. Even if it's imperfectly like Peter and the rest of the disciples. So let's stand firm and acknowledge and ask God to help us acknowledge Christ when we have the opportunities to. And let's watch him as he works in us and through us to advance his kingdom in our world. Amen.